welcome to episode 39 of our Brooklyn Bites. I am Stephanie. I am Leon. And I, I want to I start off by following up on an item that I talked about an episode or two ago. Okay. My <laughs> My centipede t-shirt. Uh-huh. And I, I wore it on, on the video when we did the Starcade at uh, Digital Press in New Jersey. Yeah, right. So I, I've worn it like a couple of times, like three or four times now. Uh-huh. And I just noticed it. I, I pulled it out of the wash last week, and I'm looking at it, and like something just didn't look right about it, right? What do you mean? So like, yeah, let me get to it. <laughs> so like, I'm folding it, and I'm kind of like, how many things can go wrong with a shirt? <laughs> right. I. So this is really weird. So then finally, I'm like holding it at the seams, and I'm looking at it, and the 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 decal was not put on like correctly. It's not. It's not straight on the shirt. It's it's very crooked, actually. Uh, like it's not centered. It's not centered. Well, it's centered in the sense that like the top part's right, mm. but it's crooked. Okay. It's not like it's not vertically straight, like up and down. Mm. Do you iron your shirts? Uh, no like... t-shirts. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, I don't know. You put it in the dryer though, a hot dryer, right? Yeah. No, but it's like. From the factory, like this. I wonder. I wonder if I wonder if decals migrate if you like uh, heat them. No, because they're the right way. I don't think it's not like it's in not heat the seventies right? and eighties. Yeah, yeah, where it used to be heat transfer. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I guess I just never noticed it before, mm. or I always just thought my shirt was twisted or something. But um, now that's going to bother me. So I don't know if I could wear that shirt anymore. <laughs> You're kidding. And it's an official Atari shirt. It's not like a knockoff centipede uh-huh. shirt. It's a real like licensed Atari shirt. You got it recently? Two months ago. Oh, right. I bought it. I mean, it was on sale. It was like $5 at JCPenney or something. But Right. But now I'm kind of bummed out. Mm, maybe you can exchange it. It was a clearance item. Oh. So I, I got it from the website. Oh, really? They don't have them in stores? Mm, the one they had, they only had a large when I saw it in the store. Hmm. That's well, why I ordered it online. I would at least look for it in the store just to just to see if it has that same defect. I know, I know. That was like six months ago, almost mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I saw it. All right. Well, if you happen to be in one, yeah, you can maybe check for it. I know that's kind of weird. I don't know how I didn't notice that. Yeah, I have the same thing with. Well, it. no one else noticed it. I mean, I well, wore it like four times already. I have the same thing with another Atari shirt that I have. I have an Atari logo shirt that I bought. Well, I think, actually, hmm, I've had that one a really long time, like maybe 10 years or something, if not more. And that one's also offset. It's really? Not, it's not on straight in the center. And it's like, even more noticeable because it's like a, it's almost like a geometric shape. So and you, that was an Atari shirt too? Um, yeah, but I'm not sure if it was official. But it was an Atari hmm. logo, like Fuji symbol shirt. Don't machines do these things? <laughs> you would think. I thought like that would happen. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably just quality control. Somebody didn't, didn't check it. Spot check I don't think it, it ever probably. happened to me. And I have, you know, 50, 60 shirts, t-shirts. Mm, right. And first time. I guess it could happen. Weird. There you go. You have other shirts from JCPenney though, right? Like other gaming. Oh yeah. No, I have shirts. a ton from and, there. And the rest seem okay. Um, don't recall ever having any issues with any of them. Hmm. I mean, this is only my third, I think, licensed Atari shirt. Right. So I don't know, but I guess mistakes happen. Okay. Well, <laughs> hopefully you can replace it. Yeah, probably not. Mm. 
but well, who knows? I mean, five dollars. Who cares? If it, I'll use it as a bed shirt. Oh, was that cheap? All right. Yeah. Was, yeah, you did say like, clearance. It was like ten, but I think it was like buy one get one free or something. I don't know. They had mm-hmm. some kind of sale. Right. Well, in that case, you can just find a better one at yeah. some point. Won't cost you much to replace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. That was. That was my drama. Actually, it wasn't my only drama. I had an, uh, There was an update for Mac OS X on the Mac. Uh-huh. And uh, I ran into some issues. And, of course, it was like the one time I don't do a time machine backup right right before I update. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I, you know, I updated and then the email program... It decided to delete all the settings in the email program. And ge- generally, like, I, I generally update every time and I don't run into any issues... So this was like a rare occurrence that my computer did not like what I did. So it took me a while, but I figured I just had to like delete all my accounts and then re-enter them in and it fixed it. But mm. other than that, those were like my two major dramas this week. <laughs> I've never uh, I've never heard of an, an OS update causing such issues. So like it, it deleted the outgoing mail server mm. of the account. Just the setting. The setting, yeah, and it yeah. wouldn't let me add it in. So I had to just delete the account altogether and then create, like, the same account over again. Right. And then it worked that time. And then I was able to... Actually, all I had to do was delete one. And then I was able to go back in the ones that were already there and now select the Gmail as the outgoing mail Mm. server. And that worked. I don't know. But it seems to be isolated. Uh, Why? I don't know. Is it an own issue? Do they have it listed? No. Not at all. More weird then. It is... uh, it is an issue though because on the Apple forums on their website, it, there's a thread of it's at least four pages now of people with the same issue. Hmm. And actually, there's one college that has that issue too. And there's like a, if you go to their college website, there's an alert that says like don't update your computer because you're not going to be able to send mail <laughs> and uh-huh. use the mail server. Hmm. All right. So it's not just you. No, it wasn't. No. Okay. But at least I figured it out on my end anyway. Right. Should let them know. Um, I guess. Who do you let know? I don't know. I guess you, yeah. Send feedback. Like respond uh, to those. Threats. Usually, when something crashes, you can send them a feedback report. But nothing is technically crashing, so right. It's really strange. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that's it. That was my action for the week. <laughs> you know, fireworks. Off, and all on, that a, stuff. off on a positive. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. That's cool. How about well, games? Uh, do we have time for games this week? I did. I did play a few of the games. Um, talk about them now. Do you want to talk about your games first? Sure. I can get into it. I know you got a whole slew of games. Uh, not a slew. No. What's a slew? How many is that? Uh, I gotta check the dictionary. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Two or more. I only had one. So, um, well, I guess this week was news. It wasn't really news, but it was basically the 15th anniversary of a certain Sega Dreamcast game, um, I guess since you know <clears throat> the Dreamcast is about that you know that age, we're going to be running into a lot of these. But basically, it was the 15th anniversary of Jet Set Radio, um, and I thought, well, all right, I guess I have an excuse to play that game again, which you know I never really finished or I never really mm. played too much back when it was on the Dreamcast. Um, so I had gotten it as part of, um, you know, some kind of Sega bundle of games uh, sale on the PC. So I had the HD uh, re-release 
of um, Jet Set Radio. Now, keep in mind, it was released in the U.S. on the Dreamcast's Jet Grind Radio. Um, that was uh, because of some kind of, you know, trademark or licensing kind of conflict. Really? Yeah. Wait, so it's Jet Grind in the U.S.? Right. And then what's Jet Set Radio? Jet Set Radio is the name of the game in, in Japan. Uh-huh. And okay. probably Europe, too. And then what is Jet Grind Future? Oh, well, there was no... It wasn't... It was Jet Set Radio Future was the sequel to the game. Okay. And that was an Xbox ex- exclusive. But And that they used the same name on both? They used Jet Set Radio in okay. every, everywhere, worldwide. Okay. Uh, for for future, gotcha. Okay, yeah. But for the first game, they they renamed it Jet Grind Radio for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah, but um, yeah, it felt like uh, it looked always looked like an interesting game. I thought, hey, you know, this is this looks like it could be fun, and um, you know, let me check it out. Um, so of course, this was um, released on the PC in 2012. This was the HD. Uh, remaster, if you will. It wasn't quite a remaster, but it's more like uh, just an up sort of a thing. Um, that was released by Sega. It was developed by a studio called Blit Software. Uh, this game was also released on uh, Xbox Live Arcade, on PSN for PS3, on PS Vita, and on iOS and Android. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the mobile versions were among the titles that were pulled recently by Sega. Yeah, just recently. From uh, their list, um, I think on both iOS and Android. So, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why. Probably compatibility, but... I don't know, that seems to be less of a problem on the Android side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they did yank both versions. So, I don't know. Um, so, I guess the original game, the Dreamcast game, came out... On June 29th of 2000 in Japan and October in North America and November in Europe of that year. Um, This was developed by a a team within Sega called Smilebit. And this was a company that was previously known as Sega AM6. So there were several internal divisions at Sega developing various games. Um, they had worked on Sega Rally 2 for the Dreamcast and a couple of different sports titles. Um, but around that time, in around, like sometime before that, 1998 or so, um, there were uh, members of Team Andromeda. These, this, was, this was a developer that was famous for doing the Panzer Dragoon games hmm. at Sega. Um, they were basically, you know, assigned to this new... Uh, division, which uh, was called Smilebit. Um, the director for this game was uh, Masayoshi Kikuchi. <laughs> he went on to be the executive producer of the Yakuza series at Sega, uh, af- you know, many years mm, after that. I forgot about those, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, this is sort of a stylish looking um, graffiti. Uh, type of game with like a lot of uh, skating mixed in along with, you know, um, the type of mechanics you would get like stunting and, you know, grinding and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so some elements of some previous skating games, I guess. Um, maybe there's some elements of Tony Hawk in there. I don't know. I think it looks, uh, in terms of the mechanics, I think it's pretty simplified compared to some of those other skating games. But this one was more about, you know, 
um, running your way through the different uh, courses and dropping your graffiti tags while evading enemies and trying to, you know, do it successfully within the time limit. Naturally, there's a time limit. <laughs> um, so when the game first starts up, there's this big graffiti warning that comes up on the screen. You know, they, they warn you that, you know, hey, you know, graffiti is art, <laughs> but it is a crime. So Man, don't do it. Yeah. So different, you know, your local laws may not allow this. So, uh, you know, we don't we don't endorse this kind of behavior. So, you know, enjoy the game, but please act responsibly kind of stuff. <laughs> seems like uh, seems like that was the thing to do back then when video games were being blamed for everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right. I remember Skitchin had uh, an, a big disclaimer in the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. Don't don't grab the back of cars right on your there was a whole game about that right <laughs> yeah uh yeah there's an element of that in this game too i was gonna i was gonna mention that too yeah <laughs> it's uh who remembers what the term kitchen even means i don't know <laughs> is that even a term anymore or was that made up for the game i don't even i don't know uh, no i think it was a real skate culture oh, was? Okay. term i think it means like skate hitching so you're you're grabbing you're grabbing onto okay. the hitch which is like the back of the car right and you're you're catching a ride that way <laughs> So this version of the game, um, you know, it runs at 1080p or, you know, whatever the maximum your computer supports, probably. I was able to crank it all the way up to full full details. Um, the thing is, though, that you do see a lot of the um, original assets in the game. You know, you can sort of see that some of them are kind of low resolution and maybe don't match the full fidelity of the, that this game could, you know, be uh, capable of. Um... I noticed also the music in this game is very, has a lot of personality, very eclectic mix of like some high energy techno, some J-pop, some funk, some hip hop, some acid jazz, all blended together. And it's, um, you know, got a very unique sort of sound to it. Yeah, it's a good soundtrack. Um, The soundtrack was directed by Hideki Naganuma. Very, uh, now the version you played, did it have the original track listing? Uh, yeah, it did. I, I think I remember the PSN version. Mm-hmm. You know the in the arcade, the Xbox Live arcade had different. Maybe a there, few tracks were missing. Maybe there might have been one track that was one, that was okay. an issue that was that had to be replaced. Uh-huh. I don't know if they resolved it by the time this this came around. Okay. Um, I did notice though that. You know, this game did have the extra levels that were added for the U.S. version of the game. Mm. The U.S. version actually had a couple of extra levels and some some music that was unique to that to those levels. Um, there was like a, a Rob Zombie track that was in there. So uh, the story in this game is pretty silly. It's you know just an excuse to kind of just mix up all of these design elements together. Um, you know, there's some kind of evil corporation. There's some kind of, like, evil overlord who's in charge of things, and he's, like, some, he's looking for a magical record, apparently. There's, like, a record, like, a, like a, a record album that's, like, called The Devil's Contract. And this is, he's looking for the various pieces of this record. And uh, what he plans to do with it is not known right away, but, you know, apparently it's something bad. Um, and the story in the game is conveyed by this really over-the-top like sort of DJ, this guy, DJ Professor K. And he's just this wild looking cartoon like character. Um, you know, he, he talks to you through his pirate radio station. He's got a pirate radio station called jet set radio. And that's how he like sort of, you know, 
addresses things, but he speaks almost like the way, like a narrator in a cartoon would sort of explain to the audience what was happening behind the scenes. But he's in a way, though, he's still kind of talking to you as the player, as like the star of the game as well. So, um, you know, you start off with the game, you, you get your default skater, um, you're introduced to a couple of other characters who teach you like the basic moves and the basic controls in the game. Um, you know, at one point he does teach, you know, tell you how to like, grab the back of a car so you can ride uphill faster. Mm. Um, and you know, they, they give you the various challenges to perform, you know, just to sort of, sort of like an in-game tutorial. Um, and you know, if you perform these challenges successfully, basically they join your gang. You know, you're sort of starting a gang in the game, a skate gang, I guess. And um, sounds like a tough gang. Yeah, well, you're you're a member of the the GGs. That's, that's the name of the gang, and uh, it's not a very tough name, no. it seems. <laughs> GG Allen, right? He's Maybe a tough guy, right? I guess. Um, uh, actually, during the tutorial too, like uh, one of your one of the the characters you meet. Well, initially you meet a character called Gum, and the other one is called Tab. <laughs> Which is, uh, I guess, you know, a simple kind of name. This whole game sounds very 90s to me so far. Yeah, right? A little bit. Not that it's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, they tell you, though, that, um, that, uh, at the, you know, that, that bullets can't hit you when you're dashing. Like, if you use the charge. And I said, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. What do you mean bullets? <laughs> Who said I'm going to get shot at? Is, the this cops is, come after you, right? I, apparently they do. Um, the cops are very aggressive in this game. <laughs> They're almost like a militarized force. <laughs> Sounds like the real world, right? Uh, I guess so. I guess, you know. I mean, pretty much your first mission is you're, you're, you're sort of um, introduced these rival gangs. There's rival gangs moving in on your turf, and they're putting up tags, and you're supposed to sort of um, prevent them from doing that. And the rival gangs in this game have names like Love Shockers, mm. uh, Noise Tanks, and Poison Jam. And they all have various, um, you know, like styles to them. Um, one of them, they're sort of, one of them are sort of cyborg looking, um, poison jam. They kind of have these costumes that make them look like sharks or fish, maybe something like that. Um, and the love shockers are like an all girl gang in like very bright looking, what look like maybe like leather outfits or something like that. So obviously as you're, as you're progressing through the levels, the cops show up because you know, they're, of course, graffiti is vandalism and they have to stop it. Um, and there's this really over the top police chief, uh, this guy, Captain Onishima, you know, it looks like a really weird cartoon face and he's got a really big revolver and he starts chasing you and trying to shoot you point blank with this gun. I'm like, man, this is really extreme. You know, I mean, all right, you know, I get it. You know, like spraying is spraying property's bad, but this is a, uh, seems like an extreme reaction to me. Um, the cops, you know, the other cops are trying to shoot at you. There's, like, motorcycle, police motorcycles riding by. They're trying to knock you over. Um, you know, they, they even fire tear gas at you at one point. So, you know, as you progress, basically, as you hit different milestones within the levels, then the police response increases based on that. Um, you start off with no spray cans. So you have a limited amount of spray cans that you can carry. You know, some are like 15, some are, some, it varies from skater to skater, depending on which character you, you, you choose. As you go through the game, you get a chance to unlock more characters and they all have different kind of attributes among them, how many cans they can carry, um, how much health they have. 
um, how good they are doing different tricks and um, how complex their graffiti tagging can be. And the more complex ones can score higher points, but it's also more difficult to pull off. So you have to sort of take those things into account when you're choosing which character you want to use, depending on what the challenge is and things like that. Um, but I didn't really do too much of that. I kind of stuck to the same um, few characters. I only had like maybe one or two favorites that I tried to stick with. Um, so <laughs> there's different t- there's different kind of levels. I mean, basically, there's a story mode where, you know, a lot of times you basically have to clear the level within the time limit. But then there's other levels. There's other types of challenges. Um, one stage is sort of a mission where you have to tag um, rival gang members ten times. So, you know, eventually you get to a point where, you know, you have to directly... There's like, th- there's like three members of the gang, and you have to sort of chase after them and try to spray them from behind. <laughs> spray the actual person. Spray the actual they character. Must love that when you do that. Yeah. Well, they keep. They don't really seem to react to it. They just keep moving. They, they, you know, they kind of run away from you as soon as you do that. As soon as you try to get near them. But th- these type of levels were kind of not much fun when I started getting into them. I was mostly running in circles. I was trying to chase them down. Um, basically, they have certain checkpoints that they run between. And the best time to really try to get them is as they're approaching or leaving one of those checkpoints. Like, you know, they'll run away from you and they'll run to the next checkpoint and then they'll stay there until you're close enough to chase them away from it. So if you can get there before they get there, you can usually get a few hits in that way. Um, But I had a lot of trouble with those levels when I first started doing them. They were really... Because, you know, you had a certain time limit and the character kept moving and I was only able maybe to get one hit in every time I encountered one. And meanwhile, you have to do it basically 30 times. You have to do it like, you have to, you know, you have to hit them 10 times, times, you know, the three characters. Um, but the regular missions were kind of cool. I kind of like that part of the game better. I, I sort of like the ones where you're just, you know, dashing around different sections of the city. There's three major sections to the city and they're all sort of based on Tokyo. But, you know, it's kind of, the, the names are kind of made up. So it's not supposed to be literally Tokyo, but maybe some like fantasy version of Tokyo, perhaps. Well, it's very visually a very cartoony game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm you know, like I mean, one of them is called Shibuya Cho, Benten Cho. I mean, these are these are areas in Tokyo, anyway. And they didn't translate that when it came to America. Like, uh, kind of Americanized the names a bit. Not really. Mm-hmm. No, except for those stages, those other stages that I mentioned, the ones that looked that, that were added in for the American mm-hmm. version. Um, it's not like Crooklyn's not in there. Uh, no, the ones there was one. There was one stage that was um, sort of meant to look like Brooklyn. It was, it was called Bantam Street, and it has like an elevated train track, the mm. way you would see in any typical like right. area in Brooklyn where that's yeah. the case. Um, and they even had um, sort of the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, even though trains don't run over the Brooklyn Bridge. But that's besides the point. <laughs> or at least they don't anymore. You know, they used to maybe when it was first built, hmm. but. Not recently. Um, and there's another area called Grind Square, and that one's definitely modeled it, after Times yeah. Square. Okay. Um, that one's a very vertical t- kind of level. There's like... Uh, like Grind Square? Yeah. It's like um, those uh, those uh, window washers come down. Oh, yeah. The ones that you can... You know, like the window washers used for like skyscrapers and stuff. You can jump on those and it'll, it'll take you up to like the rooftops and you can... There's like cables and stuff connecting the different parts. Mm. So that's a kind of a cool level. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's like, that's when, when you're at that stage in the game, that's like in chapter three. Um, 
the uh, that evil corporation that I mentioned earlier. The, the, there's a gang called the Golden Rhinos that you're that are trying to stop you. Um, they kind of take over for the cops, and then, then you now you're you know you're running into this other gang that's kind of against you in, in that part of the game. Um, they have weird enemies too. They have like guys that fly around in jetpacks, and they have like um, these guys that can control electricity and like electrify the wires that you, as you're trying to skate on them. Um, things like that. Um, and you know, there's also points when you know there's uh, parts in the game where like a new uh, uh, a new rival will show up and they will they will challenge you to do different things like um, you know perform the same set of tricks they do. It's like, it's like it's like a Simon Says kind of thing. A little bit, yeah. I mean, basically, if you, again, if you beat them, they'll join your gang. So that's the way to introduce new characters to your to mm. your um, playable character set. Um, yeah, I mean, basically they'll they'll do something and in a way this this reminds me a little bit of space channel 5 in that way where you know you're sort of it it's a it's a it feels like the game's part of the same family in the sense that that's what i feel too you know it's Mm -hmm. like stylish and over the top all right now have do any of the teams overlap who made space channel 5 um not directly okay um other than sega of course yeah space channel 5 was done by um I think another company well it was another division within sega i think it was called united game artists if i remember right and um that one was like sort of spun off from the same group but then they were like you know eventually brought back together but yeah you could definitely see some of this a similar sort of influence between the two um also in this one i mean to tag graffiti you have to perform various motions with your um, analog stick. Mm. When you when you go up to a tag, you have to like perform a certain set of like you know semicircular kind of swipes, and it shows you on screen what you're supposed to do. Um, and if you miss, you have to repeat the section, right? If you miss, you basically use up the paint cans that you were using to do it, mm-hmm. and you do have to sort of start over. But it doesn't reset the whole thing. It kind of puts you back to like because it gets more complex as you go through it, especially the bigger pieces. Um, cause there's small tags that you can do that are very simple, but then there's medium and large ones and they get, the large ones get more complicated as you try to get through it. So if you do miss, you'll have to sort of start over, but it still counts towards your total. And you just might have to spend a little more paint to get it all done. Um, but that could happen, you know, you might get interrupted too by an attack cause you're constantly getting bombarded by the cops in this too. So that does make it a little difficult as well. Um, I think basically there's, there's one part where there's like, like, you know, the city's like got a lot of bombs set up and they're blowing up if you cross certain areas. I mean, it does get kind of challenging. I mean, it gets a little frustrating too. Um, there were some parts where like the tags were very high up on the wall and you had to perform like several wall jumps to get up to that height, to be able to hit the tag at the right time. And the game, I don't think, does a really good job of really explaining all the moves to you. Some of them, I guess you're supposed to learn them through trial and error, but I don't know. There were certain missions where I had to repeat them several times because I basically ran out of time. I hit the, I hit the time limit and I wasn't able to to uh, hit all the targets, <laughs> you know, within that time. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, you do get more of the story as time goes on, um, but I don't really want to give away the final full secret of mm-hmm. what of what the Ooh. the puzzle is. Hmm. Um it's not it's not terribly unique, but 
Nonetheless, there was a story to the game. Yeah, experience. Yeah, in in, um, later stages, another thing that happens, too, is, like, the snipers show up and start shooting at you. You see, like, a little laser scope, like, targeting your location, and you have to kind of break that line of sight to get away from the sniper. Um, So these are pretty aggressive enemies, I would say. Um, The only way to fight back against the snipers is if you manage to jump to their location where they're, like, shooting from, it'll, it'll, like, kind of... Uh, shoot them away from that point and you'll you won't be able they won't shoot you anymore after that um there's other modes in the game there's one called jet technique where the goal is to get the highest score within the time limit um and you know some of these you don't have to worry about enemies chasing you you just you know the the clock is your only challenge in that situation um there's another one called uh, jet crush where uh, a member will will race to a certain spot and you have to beat them there. So basically it's like a foot race or a skate race, you know, and you have to find the shortest path to get there. And usually that involves just finding shortcuts to, to get there before they do. And also performing the necessary moves to get to that spot. Cause sometimes they're like, it's at like the top of a building or something and you have to jump exactly right to, you know, get to the top or something like that. And you know, those I did end up repeating several times as well. Um, there was another one called Jet Graffiti, which is a mode where you have to, um, hit all the red arrows on the map, which is, indicates where you're supposed to tag, um, under the time limit, but there's also, like, green tags that you can hit for more points, so that was, you know, also another extra goal that you can add in. There's tons of extra achievements, and, you know, there's, like, something called Jet Status that'll, you know, where you did everything perfectly, and you hit, like, all the hidden stuff in a level... So there's a lot of, like, I guess, repeat value, if you want to call it that, <laughs> to this game, if you want to, you know, if you get really good at it. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, basically, my my positives, I would say the voice acting and the music and the art direction in this game is really fantastic. I think it's, like, top-notch production. Um, Holds up even today, you think? Um, well, or- in, in terms of design and style, I yeah. think it still has a lot to offer. I think, you know, this could have... It seemed like it always had a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was fa- it was remade fairly recently. And, mm-hmm. You know, the, the 2012... But remade, the- it's really the same game. It's, it's the really same like- game. And I wish they really had taken the time to improve the controls if mm-hmm. they were going to revisit this mm-hmm. game, rather than just upgrade the visuals a bit. Um, you know, the controls and the camera, too, in this game is a constant struggle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know... I mean, I had the same kind of problems with Space Channel 5, too, where I feel like the timing was just off just a little bit. Like, in, like in that game, there's like not even like anything on the screen to tell you no. when you're supposed to do things right. And you think you're doing them well, and it's like... No just, visual cues, really. <laughs> no, nothing at all. And it really feels like there was there is like a really great game somewhere at the core of this idea. Yep. But the implementation is just too much of a barrier to really be completely sure. enjoyable. Um I understand the sequel fixed a lot of these issues. I understand that, like, Jet Set Radio Future is a little bit of a different game. The tagging is simpler. Some people don't like that, that the, that the tagging is dumbed down a bit. But the controls and the camera are supposed to be considerably better. So maybe that's the game this should have been. I don't know. I might I might end up trying it just to see what the difference was. Um, I heard there was a Wii version that was supposed to happen. Wow. But that was a proposal that was done by some other outside developer to Sega, and I think they just basically didn't take them up on it 
for whatever reason. I imagine though the tagging would have been like a lot of Wii remote yeah, right? style swiping and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, if this is the type of game that you like, there is another game out there that's sort of considered a spiritual successor, sort of, called Hover Revolt of Gamers. Um, this is, um, an open world game. It sort of looks like Jet Set Radio in some ways, but it's a little more futuristic looking, a little more neon colors. Hmm. Um, that one is not even really strictly skating. It's more, you know, it is more of like a parkour type of game where you're just kind of you have runners. running and stuff yeah. yeah but a lot of the grinding st- you're still grinding it seems like it it seems like there's still a lot of stunt elements to that as well um in fact that game was i think it was a, a kickstarter game um they met their goal at the end of 2014 it's up on steam currently as an early access game mm-hmm. i think it's 1999 right now as an early access title um Supposedly doing pretty well. They even got the uh, composer of Jet Set Radio to contribute music. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, music to their game. It's pretty big because I know that was such a big selling point. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's a similar style or not. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't really heard it. Um, interestingly, that game even has said that they're going to have Oculus support as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they say so. Right. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of the game I played. Um, I still have, like, the final, final mission to complete in this game. I've, I was pretty close to finishing mm. it, but I don't know. My frustrations got the better of mm. me playing this well, game. So I can kind of relate because I, you know, when this originally came out, I think I was just so into Tony Hawk and that play mechanic, which is, like, to me, Tony Hawk just nailed it completely of what I wanted in a skating game. Mm-hmm. And then this game, I know, got a lot of, you know, praise and, you know, a lot of buzz. It was kind of like a cult hit. And I played it and it just did not, it didn't play like Tony Hawk, like what I was used to. And something about it just didn't jive with me. I don't know. I, I liked, you know, the music at the time maybe was not what I was listening to. So I mean, wasn't as into it as I probably would be now. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the graphics were definitely great for the time. I, I liked it. But, uh, you know, I just dismissed it. And, um, you know, I kind of regretted it. And then, you know, all these years passed, and I always wanted to play it. I got rid of my Dreamcast, so it wasn't ever an option for me. But I did pick it up on the PlayStation Network store, mm. um, you know, when it came out, like, maybe two, three years ago. And, you know, I, I started playing it, and I'm like, oh, this game is really great. And then after, like, the first stage, I'm like, now I know why I didn't buy this game when it first came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I just felt like control was just really frustrating, and... You know, the cops chasing you, and, you know, the camera angles are weird, and I just, I was like, mm, no. Right. It has that very... I, I was like, I'll go back to this again, I don't know. I, yeah, it has, it has that frantic sort of Sega arcade game yes. style that it, a lot of the games lot like of that, that era had, mm-hmm. where, like, the camera's just spinning around, but constantly changing camera angles, too, and there's, like, a lot of loud, over-the-top I, music. I forget what stage I was on, but there was just, the cops were all over me every two seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the thing is, like, like I said, like as you progress through the different stages, it will trigger different levels of police response. So I think what you're supposed to do is you're. Support- I mean, this is meant to be. These levels are meant to be replayed a few times until you have a strategy for how to knock them out. So you're supposed to maybe do some of them, like the tags where the cops show up at are the mm-hmm. ones that you should do first before you trigger them, and then you can go back and do like the easier ones when the cops show finally show up. That so makes sense. yeah, so you have to kind of plan your routes a little bit. 
it's that kind of game where you're sort of, I think it's meant to be initially difficult, but then once you sort of understand what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's totally appealing. I mean, for some people, it, it, I think it just adds to my frustration. Yeah, I don't know. I really, really want to like that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I don't know. I give it two tries. I right. might one day still give it another shot. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah. So, I guess I'll have to dig out the I'm definitely the Xbox. curious uh, for the sequel, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I haven't played that at all, so mm-hmm. I would give that a shot, sure. Right. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll release that at some point. Yeah, as, somehow as, you know, it has a re, you know, re-release. Uh, somehow the, the sequel remains an Xbox original generation mm. exclusive. It's yeah. still not available on anything else, so uh, we'll you see. never know. Mm, true. Anything could happen. Yep. <laughs> So, what's on your plate this week? So, I'll tell you about a game that you shouldn't play. <laughs> oh, please, because that list is growing. <laughs> yes. So, you can you could scratch off Sonic Runners off your list. Really? Yeah, that came out last week, I think it was. Uh-huh. And it's, you know, Sega's new Sonic game for iOS, and it might be on Android, too, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But um, it is absolutely awful. The game, the actual gameplay itself is not bad. It may even be borderline fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of Sonic running. It's the fast parts of Sonic running on a two D screen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that stuff. It's good. That's what people want out of a Sonic game. That and if that's what you like, great game. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's plagued by horrible uh, design of interface ads, in app purchase stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just for the the moment. You open the app for the first time, and this is, like, unprecedented, really, for apps. It's like, you open it up, and it's like, oh, uh, we just have to download this data pack before we can start the game. And you download, so now you have to, like, so if you were, if you downloaded it at home, and you're on the road now, and you wanted to play, you couldn't, because you're on Wi-Fi, you know, you're not on Wi-Fi. Right. So now, you, you know, that's one, makes no sense. So you download it, and then you want to start, and it's like... You know, ads pop up, you know, hey, did you check this game out? You know, this stuff. You start the game finally, and it's a tutorial of how to play Sonic Runners. But it's, Sonic Runners is like a one-button game, and it's saying, it gives you like a 30-second course that says, okay, watch this. And it shows you Sonic running, and then it shows you Sonic jumping, and it's like, okay, that's how you jump. Now you try it, and you have to go through it. <laughs> and they do that for everything. All right, now you know how to jump. Now you can learn how to duck, and now you need to do that. And then there's another example. Okay, we're going to show you how to jump. I mean, um, jump and, and hit an enemy or something. Mm-hmm. And then so this goes on for like five, five, ten minutes almost. It's like, well, what is going on here? Am I ever going to play this game? Mm. So, so it's, a very it's just extended it, tutorial. It's tons of stuff like that. It's constant. Do you want to buy this upgrade? Do you want to do this? You're you're doing more menus and, and stuff like that than you're actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. The game itself is so quick, and it's just, I don't know. It's a shame that it, the fonts are just like it looks like someone programmed it programmed it like in their basement overnight or something. But the actual meat of the game has a lot of potential. It's like this should have been out three years ago. Hmm. You know, in the dawn of iOS gaming when it was really you know starting to heat up. Like it's it's perfectly made. It's so- just everything surrounding it. Is there any is there any option to purchase like the full game so that you don't get any more ads or something? Uh, I, I already deleted it. It was it, was, <laughs> it didn't it's, last. It's that bad. No, it's that bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, I I have a lot of patience for you know even not so great games. Okay, but that was just like no, nah, nah, I, I just after like the first round, it was just so many questions and issues, and they crashed once. I was like, nope, this is gone. 
No tolerance. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the do not buy list. Okay. All right. Noted. So, uh, I'll talk about my main game of the week. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I know you saw me play it, but... Uh, as a Nintendo player growing up, there's a lot of games that I played on the NES mm-hmm. that I were based on arcade games, and probably at the time I didn't know they were arcade games, or right. I just never saw them in the arcades. So Kinnicky was one of those games that I pl- I bought, actually bought for some reason. I actually own that game. Mm-hmm. And the NES card. Yeah. And I probably didn't realize it was an arcade game. And I may have seen it at some point, like, after I bought it, but I didn't think much of it. Mm-hmm. So I figured, well, now's a good time to go back to Kaniki and see what that game is in the arcade. Mm-hmm. So that's why I played that a bit. And um, it's not a great game. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been entertaining for me back in 88, whenever that came out, 87. Uh-huh. But, um, I, can't, I can't say I've ever seen an arcade cabinet. It's that cabinet. East game. Uh-huh. I, I did see the arcade cabinet at some point, a long time ago. But um, it's not, yeah, it's definitely not a common game. So, uh, one of the striking things about this game to me were, this is an American game. Well, I mean, it was a Japanese game, but imported to America. Mm-hmm. The bosses spit these, like, kanji letters at you, mm-hmm. which, uh, to my knowledge, was not really ever done in a game before. Like, when someone attacks you, like, he yells stuff at you mm-hmm. and like, sampled digitized voice. And you see, like, the letters pop out of his mouth mm-hmm. on a lot of the guys. And, and oftentimes, that's used as a weapon, like these letters. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's a little whimsical. Yeah. Um, so when you say it hasn't really been done, you mean, like, the very obvious Japanese Just, like, the roots? idea of, like, um, almost like breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. Oh, okay. Where it's like, you know, you yeah. don't expect, like, someone's dialogue to, like, attack you, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like... <laughs> right. The, that you, it's something you see. I in, see. Especially for, the, for that time, like... I don't remember seeing that in an arcade game before. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it was funny that they didn't translate it, too. So, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're yelling at me. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm, you know, I'm assuming they're angry, but I don't know. Well, that's typical for a lot of these what games. What are they saying? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I thought that was interesting. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the stage music, the background music is the same throughout the entire game. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack never changes, which is weird. Like... Yeah. There's only five or... Well, I think there's like seven stages or something. And it just never changes. And then the last stage is ridiculously hard. Mm-hmm. It's broken up into several units. And it's... A lot of the enemies are have these randomized attacks. And if you scroll up the screen and you scroll back, the enemies regenerate. And it's extremely difficult. And I actually had to use um, save states to get through it. Mm-hmm. Was that bad? It, it, it was bad. It's, it would have been... Uh-huh. I would probably, I mean, I would have been playing it for hours and hours at that stage, trying to do it all, because you have to do it all in one run. You can't die at all. You know, one hit, you die. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a tough game. Definitely a quarter much. I would have spent probably $50, $100 trying to get through that game in the arcade, mm-hmm. try to beat it. It's tough. Unless I'm just not a good player. Like, that's I, always a possibility. I, I, I don't know. I saw that. I saw how you were playing that game. First of all, you were... You were, uh, you know... It, it's not that hurling, hard until the last stage, really. You were hurling a lot of insults at this game. <laughs> well, this, they're insulting me. <laughs> but but this game was, yeah, being unreasonably tough. I mean, I can't imagine um, someone just casually blasting their way through this game on, on the real cabinet. It would have been really hard. Some of the hit detection's a little off, too. It's mm-hmm. definitely not a perfect game. But, you know, there's that nostalgic from growing up with the NES version. Right. So, yeah, so that was my main game. Okay. Uh, I also played 
Gone Home mm-hmm. on... I downloaded that. I actually bought that on the summer Steam sale. Okay. So I've been wanting that for since I pretty much since I built my my Steam box. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I knew going into it, it was you know a controversial game because it's technically not a game, mm. and you know a lot of people complained about that. So I knew you know what I was getting into, and you know what this game is is your it's sort of like a story unfolding. So you know you you're you're this girl character. And you come up to this house. It's an empty house. And you are just left in there. No instructions. You're just one button and just start searching everything. You know, you start rummaging through drawers, mm-hmm. reading notes and things like that as the story starts to unflo- unfold. And it, it ends up being, you know, you're this girl's sister. So you're the sister. And um, you're trying to find out what happened to your parents and your sister, who should be living in this house. Mm -hmm. And as you're reading um, the notes, I don't want to give too much away because that might ruin it. But, um, I mean, it's not a shock right now. We already know that the sister is a lesbian. And a lot of the game is really... It's really reading the journals of your sister's life Mm -hmm. of dealing with being a lesbian and her dealing with... Um, kind of like that teenage year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I, so I found it really good. Uh, it takes place in the 90s, so um, which was kind of like a cool and a nostalgic kind of way. Mm-hmm. So you see like uh, Super Nintendo, uh, like wires from a Super Nintendo by the TV. There's a lot of reference to Street Fighter 2. Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, my friend came over to play Street Fighter 2 this weekend and stuff. And, uh, you know, you have cassette tapes that you listen to, and there's a lot of um, Riot Grrrl music, you know, okay. kind of style. Uh-huh. Um, fanzines, you know, stuff from that era that we, we, you know, you and I both grew up in. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of fun. I mean, that's probably where I, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more, because I, I, I almost felt like I was in that time period. It's like, oh, I remember when my life was like this, you know? Right. And I was living in my parents' bedroom, and, you know, I had posters on the wall and fanzines and rock band stuff everywhere and you know mm. so it was fun i liked it um you know it's again you have to go into it knowing it's not technically a game but more of just like a story an interactive story uh-huh so wait this this part of it just like where you're kind of you're able to search the house yeah. and interact with all these objects and uh-huh. stuff i mean this sounds a lot like kind of maybe like sort of similar to like an adventure game where you sort of have to search around and try to find clues and figure out what you're supposed to use to Get yeah. to the next part of the story. You do, but you don't... There's, like... I mean, like, I guess it would be hard to say because I don't know what would happen if you just went to, like, the end of the game and that's it mm-hmm. without, like, rubbishing through everything. Okay. I don't know how the game would react to that. I haven't tried it yet. Mm-hmm. But there are certain sections, like, you can't... Like, there's certain locked doors and, like, um, the main section of the game, which I think was the addict, you can't access until I think you... Um, you have to, like, read one of the notes or something, and that allows you to unlock the attic. Okay. And, you know, of course, you got to find the keys for the doors. So there's, like, some things you have to do in order to pr- make pr- progress in mm. the game. So I, I don't know, like... Yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. Like, you can't make mistakes. There's no dying. Right. Um, There is an end, though, to the game. It does end, you know, credits roll. But, um, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a $20 game. Like, I'd probably be maybe a little upset spending that much on a game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think I, it was under $5. I think I paid for it, and it was worth it. Right. It's like, I don't know, it was like a two, three-hour game, and 
there are movies that are like two, three hours that I don't enjoy as much as this game. So <laughs> and those are fifteen dollars. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's fine. I don't mind. Okay, good. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's it. Hmm. Very nice. Yep. It's a good mix of things as yeah. usual. You like to stir things up. Balancing, good, <laughs> bad, not so good. <laughs> uh huh. All right, so uh, maybe we should uh, dive into any acquisitions, pickups, uh, items purchased or acquired in some way. Yeah, uh, I have to say that I think I behaved this week and mm-hmm. I avoided the trap of buying things on <laughs> 4th of July sales. <laughs> uh huh, yeah. Which I, I have to say, though, I didn't really find anything that great. Me neither. Usually, I I usually 4th of July, there's some pretty good deals, but I didn't see anything. You would think so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I did pick up a couple of things before would you find? this week. Um, so last weekend was a local convention, the Too Many Games convention. Oh, that's in right. You did go to that. Pennsylvania. We didn't talk about that last week. Um, yeah. Well, it was pretty uneventful for me. I didn't, I didn't go to spend the whole weekend. Uh, you know, I know for some people it's a whole weekend long event that they like to stay over there. But I was just there for the first day. Just to sort of look around really quickly and see if um, anything of interest was on the dealer room floor. Um, I don't know. I looked around pretty quickly. I saw a bunch of different things. Um, there was, you know, various handhelds that I was looking at. You know, like um, mostly older DS models that I wanted to pick up. But I didn't really fully find anything that I was, you know, willing to, to actually pick up at the show. Um, there was one dealer there that had some, um, a twin Famicom systems. I used to have one and I was kind of maybe looking to replace one, the one I had. The one that got destroyed in the flood. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had pretty good price actually. I think for 150 bucks, I thought that was pr- pretty reasonable. Is it, I don't know. I have no idea what that goes for. Uh, you know, the thing, the thing with the twin Famicom is that it's, it's, you know, it's an, it's basically a... Uh, a version of the Nintendo 8-bit Famicom mm-hmm. system, you know, the NES in Japan. Uh, but this one is manufactured by Sharp. So wait a minute. You owned the twin, the what is it called, the twin Famicom? Uh-huh. But yet you've never played any of those games for it? Well, it, so only, took, just, it only took Famicom games. Yeah. And you like NES games. So that whole time you owned it, you never bothered to, like, test it and play some games? I only had it. I only had a few games. I had, oh. like, I had like uh, Salamander and mm. a couple of other... Like, I had, like, the... The Star Wars game, the NES Star Wars game, uh, but this one's different. This one, I think, was the you know was released the Japan you know the Japanese version. Um, so yeah, I mean, I you know the other thing with this system though is that it has a built-in disc system. Yeah, it has the Famicom disc system all in one the floppy disk, right? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's those weird yeah the floppy, floppy disks, but it's still a magnetic media. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which means good luck trying to find. I, I, I well, exactly. I had when I bought the system, I got an assortment of discs with it, and easily half of them did not work at all. You would start to load them, and then you would just get load errors, and it would quit. Well, a lot of the thing with that, they say um, people, you would go to the stations where you buy the discs, right, and erase what's on there, and just put a new one on there, right? New game. Uh, Is that how it works? Yeah. Well, there were. It was both. I think both things happened. There were bo- there were store available like, like versions of games, mm-hmm. but there were also. Like vending machines, right. key, like okay. standalone kiosks that you could buy disk system games from. And it would write the game that you picked 
on the spot. It had like a set of blank discs in there. And then whichever game you chose, it would basically write the disc and then spit it out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is, though, you know, they're not they're not like three and a half inch floppies. They're these custom, they're smaller. They're like three inch discs or something or 2.8. I'm not really sure what to use. I think it was closer to three inches. And it didn't have a shutter. It didn't have like that metal shutter. That Oh, wow. It's just exposed. It's just exposed disc. You know, so... <laughs> So yeah, it was. It, they were they were more like the five and a quarter inch floppy disks that mm-hmm. were you know, you had to put a paper sleeve in them. So these yeah, came. Yeah. So these came. These had like little plastic uh, cases that you can put them in if you wanted to protect them. If you wanted to be careful with them, but nonetheless, I think they were kind of fragile, and I think they probably just weren't designed to hold up over such a long period of time. Um, so I didn't have much luck actually loading disk system games back when I had a functional system. Um, but I like the look of the system. I think it's like pretty, it's pretty nice. Cool. Yeah, I like it. There's at least three different models I'm aware of that have like different color schemes and you know, kind of a different case design. I like the Famicom styles on both the Super and the regular Famicom, mm-hmm. and over the NES American right. So these versions they went with. So, but these machines look different even compared to the Nintendo they hardware do. because yeah. these are made by Sharp and they kind of have like sort of a different aesthetic to them. They look like Famiclones almost a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but, you know, Sharp was like, I guess, uh, I don't I don't know how they landed this deal. I know they also made the, the TV system, the TV that had yes, the NES did. built into it. Yeah. So they must have had some kind of partnership with Nintendo at the time. Mm-hmm. That was not uncommon back then um, where, like, uh, hardware partners with these game companies also made their own versions of the system. We saw that with Sega as well, where... Uh, Sega made the Sega Saturn, but there was also, you know, the, the Saturn was powered by Hitachi design CPUs and Hitachi made a version of the Saturn that was branded as a Hitachi yes. Saturn. Um, the same is true for, um, uh, JVC in Japan is really Japan Victor Corporation. That's what JVC stands for. So in Japan, they're known as Victor though. That's like mm-hmm. the, a brand that's pretty well known. Uh, I mean, they're known as JVC as well, but you know, that's, kind of part of the name and there is like a, a v saturn available in japan they were also partners one of the manufacturing partners of of the system so yeah back then this was a thing that was done you don't really see that as much these days um we even saw that as recently as the gamecube right there was the panasonic version of the gamecube the the panasonic q the q yeah like <laughs> kind of reflective mm-hmm. it was like all chromed out yeah and it actually took full-size disc you play you play dvd movies on it mm-hmm. too as well as GameCube. Yeah, I know games. some friends who ordered, who mm-hmm. um, imported that from Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. I've always meant to get one, but I never. It was a little pricey. It was over four hundred, I mean, four fifty at the time. Yeah, that's a lot because the American one was getting discounted, right? Because it didn't sell. Right. I was having a hard time justifying a four hundred and fifty dollar yeah. purchase <laughs> when I had already had the system and, mm-hmm. I, and I had already paid like uh, quite a bit less than that. Yep. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I looked around the floor there at the convention. There were a few things that were kind of enticing, but I sort of tried not to spend money too recklessly. But um, the one thing, the few things I did get um, were a couple of books I got that were available at the Hardcore Gaming 101 table. Uh, The website we've mentioned before um, had a deal, you know, kind of a discount if you bought multiple books. Um, So I ended up getting their Castlevania book. I also got their Konami Shooters All unauthorized, book. right? Yeah. <laughs> it says yeah. clearly on the yeah, cover, there is, unauthorized. there is an unauthorized uh, kind of badge on the cover to let yeah, you know. Yeah, they're that. very good books, though. Mm-hmm. 
I do enjoy the subject matter. I yeah, the content's very good. It's not it's like slapped together without right. research and stuff. It's mm-hmm. very thorough. I'm, I'm very impressed by the detail that some of these games go to. Yeah, yeah, and the work um, you did. I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know what it is. You I bought have, that Konami shooter book. That I did I, that I bought digitally just a few weeks ago. Right. Um, I also got the Strider and Bionic Commando book. This was the first in their digest series. Nice. Um, where they, I guess it's going to be kind of smaller, uh, series. Yeah, um, that actually turns out to be a lot better than I thought too. I thought that was going to be just like, mm-hmm. kind of like a comic, you know, small, right. thin thing, not much to say, but no, it's pretty good. And it covers all types of grappling hook type games and stuff. It's, right. Yeah. I was pretty impressed. So you've gone through it already. I have, I've yet to really yeah. read through these books and see what well, I looked at yours when you brought them over. Well, all right. Um, I also got another one. The fourth book I picked up from that table was called The Untold History of Japanese Game Developers. And this is a series of um, interviews with various, you know, I guess, members of the Japanese gaming industry, um, some of which were probably difficult to locate and track down. And even, you know, some weren't even willing to to talk, even if you did talk to them. Do you know if this is uh, translated... Uh, how is the translation? I should say, is um, it rough? Is or can you understand it? I haven't. I haven't actually gone through it yet. Okay. But uh, as far as I know, I, th- I think. I mean, I, I've been told that the book is. Um, you have to. You have to really want the information that's in there. I feel like. It, I think there's it's not, not much, casual reading. I think right? there's not much of a narrative to the book. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty much just raw data dumps of interviews with a long list of, you know, developers. I mean, if you're interested in that subject matter, I'm sure it'll be fascinating, but it's a, a thick w- book. It's a pretty massive book. Yeah. Um, I, I might, you know, sample it just to see what it's like. I don't mm. know if I'll get through the whole thing in one sitting. The but- problem I have with that is, uh, even though I'm familiar with a lot of those, I'm, I'm probably familiar with the guys. I just don't know their names. Right. It's not like, uh, some of the early Activision guys like Gary kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, um, Who's the Yard's Revenge guy? Uh, <laughs> Howard Scott Warshaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like, those guys I know by name by now, but, like... Right. You know, I had, a lot of the times in these games, like, on NES and stuff, they didn't use their real names on the credits. Exactly. And so I wouldn't even know if I read the interview unless it said, like, well, this guy's responsible for this game sure. and this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So I wouldn't even know where to look for it. It's like, oh, I wish I knew, you know, who made this game. You know, maybe he's in this book, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, there is a list somewhere, I think, of, of you know, everything, the table of contents, basically, of what's in the book. And maybe okay. and maybe what games they worked on. Maybe that'll yeah, so that would be cool. helpful. Mm-hmm. So I'll see how that is. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. I haven't, I haven't quite gotten into that yet. Um, and that was kind of all I picked up at the show. I did see, you know, a lot of little knickknacks that I thought I might be interested in. So but... what'd you think? Was that show worth it? Like, I was going to go, like, many months ago. I was right. like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll go. And then at the last minute, I changed my mind. <laughs> well, because you well, changed your mind, I went on a, on a work day. I went. I ended up going yeah. on the first day. Which is probably the best day to go. I, I guess. things. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I really just didn't see anything to do there. It's definitely a small regional convention. Mm-hmm. It's not anything big. It's not a PAX. It's not maybe even like a Portland gaming retro. Mm, no. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, I th- there were there was a panel room. There were... The, I mean, if you look across the schedule of the whole weekend, mm-hmm. there were probably maybe three or four panels that I would have sat in they, on. They did have a lot of panels. Right. It was just nothing that I thought was mm-hmm. interesting to what I like. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... I mean, the GameSat guys were there. I was, 
you know, I would have been interested in meeting them, but right. it's not. I don't know if I would sit on a panel to listen to them talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, they just uploaded the, pa- the video of the panel to, oh, okay. to their channel <laughs> anyway, so you could watch that. You could just watch that, all right. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know it's, it's definitely, I would say, 70% marketplace if you're just looking yeah, to shop. Yeah, okay. And then... There were some there were some indie game developers there with like oh, some okay. some tables displaying various mobile games and maybe smaller indie titles. Mm, that's cool. Um, I didn't I didn't get a good look at what was on what was on hand. I kind of kind of rushed through just to sort of because I was kind of surveying the whole floor just to see what was there first. Um, I did get <laughs> Square Painter was there. <laughs> I, he, he was indeed, <laughs> I, of course. Um, he is local, so of Philly course, native. He, yeah, that's right. So he took the opportunity to uh, to show off his work, um, and yeah, I mean there was there was a concert room where various chiptune performers mm-hmm. uh, played. Um, they had the uh, well, they had the cosplay wrestling, right? Which is the that one thing well. that I was sort of interested in seeing because mm-hmm. you know me, I'm a sucker for like especially yeah. campy style wrestling and stuff. Sure. The goofier, the better. If it's well so, done, it's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. If it's just, like, people kind of fake wrestling in yeah. costumes, and they're not really interested. But if it's, like, local indie wrestlers, like, dressing up and doing that, <laughs> then I'm all, I'm all into it. Yeah. yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, the, you know, I was there on the Friday, and the Friday, the Friday schedule was a little light for, for me. Mm-hmm. I, I saw more stuff over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Um, but it's fine. I was really just there just to kind of look around. Really quickly. Um, you stay for the burlesque show, or is that Saturday? I, I don't even know. I'm oh. not sure. Yeah, I didn't check. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's definitely you know, you know there's autograph sessions too. A few YouTube celebrities were there, and you know people known for gaming uh, channels and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it was a good time for people who are, follow that scene. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'd say it's worth going at least once just to see if it's your taste. And just just to see if it's so worthwhile. Would you say what was the overall vibe in types of games shown and sold on, on the tables? Do you feel like it was a eight uh, bit sort of feel? Mm. Was it a pre eight bit? Like why well, don't say pre eight bit pre crash? I should say. Yeah, uh, there oh. was some. There was some because that was actually. What was on it? The was it more like NES heavy or like Atari heavy? Um, I would say it was mostly... Or a Super Nintendo, Genesis. Yeah, I would say 16-bit to PS2 era. Was that was? I think that was probably the bulk of what I okay. saw. Interesting. Like, pretty much in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were, there were exceptions, and certainly there was NES stuff, if that's what you wanted. And there were some... There was even some pre-crash stuff I was looking around yeah, for. Yeah, there was... Uh, I was looking around for a good... 7800 there? Uh, there was a, there was a boxed 7800... That was, I think, a pretty reasonable price. I think it was maybe fifty dollars, hmm. or was it maybe seventy five? Seventy five, I think. You told I, I, me. I told you seventy five, yeah. right? So that was probably closer to that. I talked you out of it. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good thing. Well, I don't know if it's a good thing, but <laughs> you don't need that. You, you say like crossbow. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll go right into my next item. Okay. The next item that I did get, then the next day we were at Nava, the okay. digital press. Uh, gaming event that we go to every month, and um, our friend Raul Angel was uh, with me at the uh, creator of the Pytari. That's right. <laughs> he was uh, present as well on on um, you know the uh, at the Too Many Games convention. Uh, but I saw him the next day at um, 
you know, uh, at, at Digital Press. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, by the way, um, I know you were looking for a 7800 yesterday at Too Many Games and you didn't get one. So I saw, you know, and he usually gets there well before we do because mm-hmm. um, he, he makes a whole uh, day trip out of it. Um, so he's there from the start, which means he gets first crack at the people that are have trade boxes and stuff for sale. Um, so he says, hey, I saw here you go. I picked you up a 7800. Uh, I know you were looking for one. Um, so I'm going to have to think of a way to make that up for, to him. But, uh, you know, it was a bare system. Um, I used to have a 7800, but I ended up tossing it out along with my other stuff that was ruined. Uh, I still have a bunch of 7800 games. So... I always meant to replace it. It's, you have the games? I have uh, an assortment. There's not that many games. I have an assortment of cards. Do you have any of the homebrews? Uh, I might, actually. Yeah, there's a bunch of homebrews. I think I might have, like... Hmm, I remember a Chuck Norris game. I don't know if that's in there. But anyway, <laughs> I would say the 7800 is the Atari system I know the least about. Me too. You know, out of all of them. Yeah. I mean, if you want to still consider that original Atari, I guess. Other than the computer line. I guess you could. I don't know the XE and the ST. And mm-hmm. Well. I'm not that familiar with what was on that. Especially yeah. the ST. ST, I'm in the dark about. Well, ST, yeah, I consider a whole other thing. Um, I, I don't know much about the ST either. Um, but nonetheless, I figured the 1700 is probably, it's a small enough library that I can feel I can kind of get to know it without too much trouble. Hmm. Uh, and considering I already had some games for it, I'll probably just want to uh, dive into that a bit more at some point. So I was happy to get that. Nice. Um, and Lucky that's that. You. Yeah. So that's where we're at. <laughs> that was my pickups of the week. Pretty good. Um, and I guess we can move on to news and such. Any news this week besides fireworks and hot dogs and burgers and... Um, yeah, apparently there was something related to all that. So the industry does not shut down for I guess not. American holidays. No. Uh, not entirely. Um, it, it actually, it was a bit surprising because I think we, we talked about this a little bit, how, you know, coming off of the E3 tidal wave of news, mm-hmm. you would think there would be a lot more like sort of, um, you know, aftermath to all of that. I thought uh, some, the war is going to be some more behind the scenes stuff like that. that like... You know, people who were behind closed doors, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, starting to leak stuff out. But, no, it's been pretty quiet, other than what we know already. Or mm-hmm. have, you know, after the first three days, that was it. Right. Well, the well, I guess the, one of the, the big stories that a lot of people seem to be reacting in mm-hmm. was sort of the discovery of uh, the prototype system that, I guess, would have been the... Uh, Nintendo PlayStation, let's say. Let's call it that. Yeah. Right? This is the uh, disc expansion to the uh, Nintendo, Super Nintendo that was supposed to come out. This was basically a joint project between Nintendo and Sony before Sony struck off on their own to create Mm -hmm. the PlayStation brand. Um, So this is not the add-on for the Super Nintendo. This was was an all-in-one system that would have had Super Nintendo and CD-ROM drive in in one unit. Uh, and this was apparently found by someone who, I guess, is the son of someone who worked for someone who worked at Sony during this time. Um, so this guy by the name of uh, Dan Diebold, mm-hmm. I guess, visited his parents' house for the holidays. And um, 
you know, ended up finding one of these systems among yeah, his dad's yeah. belongings. Well, I think he his uh, I think he knew about it, or he tried to get his dad to send him photos, and they were just like sloppy, like blurry photos. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Well, I go there. I'm gonna go just go check myself." And yeah, and that's what he did. And he just uploaded some photos on Reddit, and you know, photos leaked out, and no one knew if they were real or not, and there was some controversy controversy about it. And then, right, you know, finally he he gave a big story about you know. Yeah, I guess he, I guess he needed some info too from his dad, like what this thing's about. Right. Yeah. So apparently, his dad worked at a company that um, this former Sony executive uh-huh. worked at after he was at Sony, yeah. and then when that company went bust, he was among the people that were clearing the company out of all the various assets, and apparently, this was found among those those items. Yeah, it was supposed to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. According to, I guess, actually by the the bankruptcy court or whatever it was. Right. He wasn't really supposed to keep this. And apparently there were, I, I think the rumor was that there were about 200 of these machines uh-huh. made. So yeah. who knows how many survived? Yeah, I mean, like, I've seen photos that looked similar of right. the machines before. So this wasn't, for me, it wasn't shocking. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, we've, we've known about this for a long time. Right. But to see someone holding it in their hands, like, on a, on a video, you know, is kind of not everything you, you don't see that every day. Sure. This is a real, you know, I mean, uh, it's been over 20 years and it's the first time we've actually have photo evidence of this thing having existed so if there are 200 of them out there they're pretty well hidden or they've been most of them have been destroyed or have been forgotten about or just in the vaults of these respective companies we don't know yet if this thing may or may not work right he needs the power supply for it and you know there's Mm. i don't think there's software that was designed specifically for it yet right yeah we don't know or ever i I should say apparently the system (laughs) Came with some kind of cartridge. It had some... Yeah, the cartridge number on the back, it, it was a released Famicom game. Mm-hmm. I forget which one it was, but um, that that may or not be what's inside. Right, right. I mean, more likely if it's a cart game, it's probably just it a regular no Super Nintendo game. Yeah, it might just be. That's why I have a feeling. It's just mm-hmm. a, one of your, you know, whatever game, Final Fight or something, whatever it was. Right. And then even the CD games were probably just... You know, similar to what Sega CD was, like yeah. basically Super Nintendo type games CD on, on CD audio, right? You know, with you know on CD media rather. So who knows? Maybe yeah, maybe knows? we'll get more information about this. But uh, the story is certainly making waves. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's interesting historical. It's fun, you know. Like, <laughs> evidence. You always wonder like what's in some of these people's basements, and mm-hmm. you just never know. How many people are sitting on like boxed tabletop games like in their attic or? Um, who knows? I don't know. Like, stuff that we haven't even seen or heard about. I mean, pro. you think, like, even on Atari stuff, like, you think all the prototypes types were found at this point. Right. But there's still, like, arcade boards that pop up that we've never seen and revisions of things and cool stuff. Yeah. 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 So I'll definitely following the story to see what else yeah. comes out of it. It'll be interesting. Uh, Any other Nintendo news? I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Nintendo made a statement about their next system, their NX system, NX. if you will. Yep. Talking about how they won't be immediately dropping Wii U or 3DS support after this supposed yeah, NX. They're already dropping support. Uh, what do they have, like, four games, like, the next whole year? It's, it's stormy like- seas ahead. I would think, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody was was saying, hey, as of this, you know, is it going to be done with already since you already have indicated you're coming out with another system? Mm-hmm. Or, They'll or never what? come out and say that. 
Right. I like mean, they, they refused to acknowledge the 3DS XL, even though it was out in Japan. They wouldn't even acknowledge it coming out in America. The, uh, well, how do you mean? The, uh, the new 3DS. The new 3DS? The, yeah, that's uh, I should say. The smaller the, one, the, right? No, the, the one that was released with the extra thumb. Oh, right. The, the, the nub on it. Mm-hmm. The one that just came out. Yeah. That was in Japan, out in Japan for months, and they wouldn't even acknowledge it as oh, well, coming they, out in America. They hadn't confirmed a release date, yeah. Yeah. For a long time. Um, I don't know. I think we've heard this kind of thing from Nintendo before. We, yeah, I think we heard this when the DS was first announced. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, no, 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 this isn't meant to replace... Right. they did say This that. wasn't meant to replace the Game Boy. Game Boy... This is going to exist yeah. alongside... That's exactly what they said. That. So, and we know how that turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess this is more of a, we'll wait and see. We'll, we'll believe it when we see it <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know... I guess we still don't know what the NX is actually going to be. Maybe it is going to be some kind of mobile type thing that may not even compete directly with these systems. I would have put my money on that. To think it's something else, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. It's just that's what the Japanese market is, right. is mobile. So I don't know how I don't, how it could be anything else. I'd be shocked mm-hmm. if it wasn't that. Yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, I, I know they're they're looking at ways to sort of you know reinvigorate mm-hmm. the market for them and make yeah. them uh, you know more mainstream success, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, they've already got a system now. They could take whatever steps they would take with this one and try to make whatever they have now you know work more effectively too. I would hope they would uh, at least accommodate that in some way for the people that were willing to trust in them and and, and buy the system. That includes me. I did. I did buy a Wii U last Christmas. So yeah, you jumped in. Finally, did get one. Um, so hopefully, there's. Some, I will buy it when it's ninety nine dollars. It might happen sooner than later. Okay, <laughs> we'll see. Or yeah, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> hmm. Well, or maybe yeah. they'll just end up being emulated on. Oh, I was going to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> because we've got. Um, We've got uh, an Android device now that's capable of running uh, GameCube games. Yes. Right? Um, the Dolphin emulator that we've talked about a few times before. That's getting better and better. Yeah. Uh, there is an Android version of that emulator. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And apparently the um, the new NVIDIA Shield console, whichever one, whatever they're calling it, the Shield TV, yes, I guess. the Shield TV. Um, yeah. The uh, the Tegra X1 powered Shield yep. TV is capable of running um, pretty beefy chip for Android. Yeah. Uh, so I saw a video that that uh, demoed uh, several games, including Resident Evil 2, um, Animal Crossing, Luigi's Mansion, all running pretty well on the uh, the Android device. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can already run it pretty well on my PC, but the fact that this $200 console can do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, something the size of, like, a compact disc, pretty mm-hmm. much. It's pretty small. Yeah. Um, you know, among all the other things it can run, you know. It's mm-hmm. just, this is just another addition to its um, catalog. So, I mean, that, that machine outputs 4K. Um, or it's capable of. Yeah, it's capable of 4K display. I don't uh-huh. know that it's going to play games at that level. Yeah. But I think... Um, I'm just I'm saying that's how pro- powerful of a... Mm-hmm. You know, you think... You know, you need a big PC to do something like that, but you really don't anymore. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly probably the most powerful device that can run Android. So, um, we'll probably see 
those 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 type of emulations take a step forward with this as well. Um, supposedly they even um, got a version of uh, Dolphin now. The emulator can actually be cranked all the way up to 5K resolution on the PC. 5K. So yeah, if you've got a PC that can support up to 5K res, then you can you can does that work? Bump your games up to that degree. Um, but you're not you're upscaling. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not adding like graphics that are if it, the graphics aren't like. What are you upscaling though to make it five K? It's not really five K. Well, remember it wasn't designed for that. these are these are uh, polygons, right? They're 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 lines Does it being enhance? drawn. Yeah. So so it's basically drawing the same three D models, but mm-hmm. at a five K resolution rather than at the game's native, hmm. you know, four eighty P resolution. Let's say. So yeah, it can be a noticeable improvement for some games. Definitely interesting. <laughs> Um, so what else do we have? We have word that a game that we both played as a digital download. Yeah, Shovel Knight was at one point mm-hmm. there was a leaked image of I think it was on Best Buy perhaps or Amazon, right? Of a retail copy of that game, and Yacht Club was this was I think before the PS4 uh, PSN network game came out and the PC version or. No, I think it was just a PlayStation one. And they were quick, and they quickly came out and said, no, no, it's not going to be a retail version. This is download only. Mm-hmm. But this week, they or last week, they announced that um, this is going to be... They're going to release it at retail level mm-hmm. as a digital... Uh, as a, you know, a hard copy. Physical. Physical. Yeah. Uh, so it's coming to the 3DS, the Wii U, the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One. Yep. And Europe is lucky enough to get a PC skew. Yeah, I don't understand that. <laughs> That's weird. But it's uh, coming in October. Yeah. So you know, they're going against Transformers Devastation, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's going to have a $20 price point. Yeah. Which is fa- I think that's a fair price. I mean, I think it was 20 when it first came out, right? Uh, could be. I forget if it was 15 or 20 but mm-hmm. it's pretty fair. And you're going to get the DLC with it. Right. I mean, pretty much every copy of the game, including the the digital ones, are getting all future DLC updates for free. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, Now, we talked about there were already companies who were making these, uh, I wouldn't say fake, but like fan-made. Sure. I think think there's action. Were they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh Like boxed versions of this game. Right. You know, maybe with like a Steam code in it or something. But this is going to be an official... Well, there was, I think there was a, um, you know, as part of the Kickstarter backer level, there was like a physical oh, box version. Because oh, okay. we saw it on their table, right? When we passed by Yacht we Club did. Games. Yeah, that's true. At PAX East, we mm-hmm. saw they had a, a Shovel Knight box on their table. Yeah. But this is going to be the mass market version of that, I guess. This is not going to be strictly yeah, just the you know, special Up for pre-order one. if you want it. I do not think it'll be hard to find. Mm-hmm. But, but they're encouraging you to pre-order so that they can prove to retailers that there's interest for their game to come yeah. out. Are you going to get it? How do you feel about that? Um, I don't know. I've already played the game. Yeah, me too. So I don't know that I will want yeah. a box just to put on my shelf and never, never really have to touch it. Uh, yeah, I've, you know you know me, I'm, I'm leaning more towards digital downloads these days. So if I didn't already buy it, I might have bought it mm-hmm. this copy but i can probably pass unless unless is you know near near the holidays there's great deals so there could be you know buy one get one half off or something and you know i might buy i might need a game to just stick in there 
you know. Right. Or buy two, get one free, you know. So maybe I'll end up getting it that way, but. Mm-hmm. No, it's not, uh, it's also not, like, one of my top 100 games or top 50. Right. Well, we do know there's a new campaign coming for it. Yeah, yeah. The I, Plague of Shadows update. We played a little bit at PAX East on that one, so. Mm-hmm. Should be good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I mean, it's a fun game, but I found it a bit punishing. <laughs> hmm. But maybe that's the appeal. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Um, so what else do we have? We had a story about a very enterprising fan, I guess. I guess they're a fan. It's a bizarre story. Uh-huh. This is weird, right? This is, um... Basically, a story about how somebody was able to infiltrate uh, a game studio mm-hmm. and uh, basically was shown and talked about a new game that they were working I on. I think I need to start reading Reddit. Uh, this was another Reddit story mm-hmm. that, that got leaked on there. And we're not leaked, but posted and it was removed. Right. So, so there's a studio in Canada called Digital Extremes. Uh-huh. Right. And these are the guys that make... Uh, this Warframe game that was, I guess, free to play. Yeah, on yeah. PS4. I, think I have that on my PS4. Um, it's also on PC. Um, okay. And they've done various other projects. I know they've been involved with um, the Unreal tournament, uh, not Unreal tournament per se, but the Unreal series of games. Uh, and I think they did maybe uh, either the sequel. I think Unreal Two. I, th- I feel like their name was associated with that. But either way, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically, somebody just pretty much followed someone into the office right behind them. I mean, somebody <laughs> used their key card to open the door, uh-huh. and they just walked right in behind them, didn't really question it. And uh, they basically hung out at the office of this game dev all day long. They went to, they went and had a free lunch. They went and talked to people behind the scenes of these games without, you know, just kind of playing along. I mean, this, yeah, is, right? this is a bit of like... Probably wondering, like, how soon can I do this before I get thrown out? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, Reminds I, me of that Seinfeld episode where, like, Kramer starts working at this company, but he's never actually been hired. He just, like, shows up every day. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like that. That's pretty much almost what it is. I mean, because uh, if he just repeated this performance, that would have yeah, been, right? <laughs> been the same scenario. Um but yeah, I don't know. This is it, I, I always felt this was kind of weird. The how like if somebody uses their car to open a door and somebody comes in behind them, they, I don't know. I mean, are you, are you meant to be like a security guard at that point and say, hey, "Hold it, buddy. I don't know who you are." Yeah, I mean, like especially, if it's a big enough company, you don't know everyone. That's no, there. you just assume like, well, I would you know, I I would probably just assume you work there. Like, why would I think this person, unless he looked like you know mm-hmm. someone homeless or something like that, like you know, degenerate or something? Then if there was something suspicious about him, yeah. But if you look like just like a you know some dude that would work at a computer programming mm-hmm. place or something, right. It's very strange. Um, the new other trick is you got to walk with a, a coffee in your hand. Right. Then it looks like, well, I didn't have time to take my key card out. So can or, you help just me look, out? Just look like you're in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely a, a type of social engineering. There, there's people who do this to get into like crashing parties and stuff like right? Hollywood parties. And sure. There's, there's a whole art to this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in a sense, he's a party crasher. Yeah. But I guess, you know, he was basically shown this new game called Keystone. Mm-hmm. This is some type of FPS card game hybrid, I guess, that they're working on. Um, very strange. I don't know. Um, I guess the company did finally respond and very politely asked people not to do that. Yes. Well, it is trespassing, and that is, at least in, in I don't know how it is in Canada, but in mm-hmm. America, they 
probably could call the cops on you. Right. And right. You could get a summons for that. Absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, they're, <laughs> they're sort of, property. they're sort of taking it in stride. I mean, they basically yeah. did get embarrassed by, by this news and kind of, I guess, you know, it would have been additional bad PR if they kind of tried to prosecute this person. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's true. Uh, so I guess they just spun it a different way and said, all right, you know, we're very flattered. We're very honored that you would, you know, give us this kind of attention, but please note, this is not really the right thing to do. Um, so, you know, be respectful. That's what they're asking, (laughs) which is very strange. I don't know. I still find the whole thing very bizarre, but I guess people do it over the phone too, all the time. You'll call up and you'll say, you'll claim to be a certain person. Apparently this is a thing that, you know, tech support lines might get. You might call up and say, Hey, I can't access my password. And you give some username and they reset it for you. And now you're, now you have access to this account. Oh, wow. That can happen too, very easily. Mm. You know, it depends how good their screening process is. You know, happens. (laughs) Pretty crazy. Yeah. So I've got one final item here to to hit up on. Yeah, you're going to have to help me out with this one. All right. So um, this is basically uh, a story about a game that I've mentioned before. It's, um, you know, City of Heroes, a game that I used to play on the PC. It's one of your beloved games. One of my top ten games. One of the games that I call my favorite of all time because, you know, just by sheer volume, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would have to say it qualifies. Um, but nonetheless, the game's been offline for the past three years. It's, you know, been shut down by its original owners or operators. Um, but you know, it's a very, it's got a very tightly knit community, very, you know, um, a community that kind of continues to, you know, they, obviously people played this game for eight years, made a lot of friends and so on. Um, so members of the team of, of the team that keeps sort of the community together, have um, talked about bringing the game back in some way into something called Paragon Chat. Now, it's not the actual game. It's not. It basically uses the game client that you used to use to play the game, but we no longer have game servers to connect to, so the game isn't really playable in in the the way that it used to be. Um, but they're basically coming up with a way to instead connect the game client to, uh, chat servers. So it's either going to be community hosted or it's going to be even possible for people to set up their own chat servers if they're technical enough to do it. Um, but you'll basically be able to use the game. You'll be able to go into the game and create a character like you used to, and you'll be able to even, uh, connect to a server that will connect you with other players and this kind of brings back the social aspects of this game. You used to be able to run around in a game, and obviously, you know, there used to be gameplay in it. There used to be missions you can do. There used to be enemies to fight. Um, you won't have any of that in this version of what, what they're providing, but they're gonna, you're going to be able to visit any zone in the city like you used to. You'll be able to see other players in the city the way you used to. Okay. You'll be able to create new characters and new costumes. Hmm. Um, you'll have a chat system where you can, you know, go into different channels. There used to be a broadcast channel where anybody in the zone can see what you're typing. And there used to be um, even private channels where people could set up something for their, either their super group or their friends or their, 
you know, co- extended coalition of, of supergroups or, and so on. Um, so it's an interesting idea. I mean, basically, it's kind of the shell of what the game used to be mm-hmm. without any of the actual gameplay, but it just gives you a way to sort of reconnect with some of the people that used to play the game. It's like everything will be in purgatory, sort of. <laughs> in a way. It's, it's like sort the of, afterlife of this game. Um, yeah, I mean, we already had a form of that because basically some enterprising members of, of uh, you know, sort of the fan community have figured out a way to like sort of let you run the game client without also without any of the features I mentioned before, but basically you can walk around the town and, you know, visit previous spots where you could, you know, go on adventures and things. Uh, but just, there was just nothing interactive. There was no way to actually make anything happen in the game because mm-hmm. there's no servers. Um, but in this, this is like a step closer to what it used to be in a sense that you'll be able to. So you're going to be, so you get, you'll be able to, keep your like if you had your character created right you're gonna have access to that uh not directly so so basically how that worked yeah well so in the game itself when the game was even active Mm -hmm. right um your characters were basically a set of attributes right it was basically the costume that you wore and you know what class you were and things like that um, the game actually gave you uh, a means of saving that because the game had support for multiple costumes, right? So each character could have up to um, five costume slots. You could have, you could design your own look, basically. Um, and the game gave you a way. There was a, an in-game tailor that you could visit and make changes to your costume. You could adjust what kind of cape you had, or whether you had a cape at all, or whether you wore boots or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, every aspect of your look was customizable. Hmm. Hairstyle, you know, facial expression, all kinds of stuff. Um, so there was a way to basically save that information out. When you visited the tailor, there was an in-game option to basically save your costume. Because let's say you wanted to write it out and make a backup of it. Um, and even before the game shut down, there were um, third-party apps you know, programs that, that fans created that let you sort of dump out, um, the entire contents of your character, including, you know, um, all the different powers that your character had selected and what, you know, um, what kind of achievements these are, these were called badges in the game. Mm. Um, what kind of badges you had uncovered, you know, for defeating 500 of a certain type of enemy or for visiting a certain location in the game, there would be like, Maybe a statue there that would give you a badge. Things like that. Um, so basically, people who did that in the game will be able to re-import that information back into this chat system to recreate their character, essentially. Exactly the way it used to look in the game. Um, even if you don't have access to that, you can still go to the tailor, redesign your character to the best of your memory, or whatever, you know, however you want it to look, or modify it, or whatever. I mean, these are all options. Um... But one thing that stood out in in, in this article um, was basically uh, they said that one of their goals here in doing this mm-hmm. was to um, you know sort of let publishers know that they need to do uh, a better job of of preserving these games when they shut them down. You know, um, yeah. they need they need something because yeah. people you know play these games a long time; they get invested in them. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would, may even want to play these games forever. Well, sure, but you know, who knows? Uh, basically, the the approach of simply saying 
as of this date, this game is no longer available. Thanks for playing and good luck. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of these games shut down. Uh-huh. And basically, people have made friends and want to continue playing together. And, um, you know, I guess they want a better approach. They want a way for maybe turn the game over to its fans or turn the game over to its players and make it playable in some way. Um, I don't know. That's not always good economic sense for the company's point of view, but at the same time, it's a goodwill gesture for all the players for being interested in your game and having played it over the years. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting project. They say they're going to continue to develop this thing. It's going to be starting as like a chat system, but, um, they can eventually add some other features that, you know, might, um, continue to add things like, for example, the game had, um, support for, uh, what was called a, a base, a super group base. And that was basically a private hangout that you could create just for the members of your super team. Uh, and this was a player editable. This was almost like, imagine like a, maybe like an early version of like a Minecraft kind of a thing hmm. where you could build different rooms and create equipment and completely customize the look of your base and have it, you know, your own private layer, <laughs> kind of your hideout in the game, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's among their, their goals for this, which is pretty amazing considering there's no game anymore. There's no game, there's no servers, but this will all be sort of hosted on the player side, I guess. Um, so Does it's it interest you at all. Um, like to revisit this now that it's been, it's already been inactive for a good two years now, right? Uh, it's yeah. Over about, about, yeah, about three years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Going on three years. Have you moved on yet? <laughs> I've moved on by playing all the games we talk about every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In that sense. I mean, I certainly would love the opportunity to play the game again. And there's still talk of that happening, perhaps. But this is sort of its own separate thing. This is just, this is just a way to sort of get back in the game and see other people again. That's one of the things people really liked about the game. They liked the idea that this is a living city, that it's a shared space. You go in and you see other players and... Um, you know, they the things that other players did to create these characters was a very it was an interesting form of expression. You know, it was way it was a way like you're basically designing the look and the personality of of your character, and you know, part of it is to to show it off to people and you know see what see what they think. A hmm. uh, very popular thing that used to happen in the game was called a costume contest. So there was uh, what was considered sort of the hub of the game called Atlas Park, and there was a big statue there. A really tall statue of uh, Atlas holding up the world, a giant sphere over his head. Uh, and people would gather under this statue and line up. And, um, you know, somebody would say, like, costume contest starting in two hours or whatever, mm. be there. And they'd say, they'd say, we're giving out prizes. You know, we're giving out, like, a special costume piece or we're giving out some, some in-game money, things like that, for the best costume. And they would have a judges and they would, they would basically say, here's the best designed character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sound shocked. You seem disturbed by this news. Listen, this is a whole world I'm not familiar with. Uh huh. It's uh, sure it's perfectly sane thing to do. I didn't say it was sane. You said that. <laughs> uh, I'm just you know this is what went on though. Okay. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'm I'm interested just to be able to freely walk around the game the way I used to and and make it look like uh, an original. I mean, I, sometimes I load up the the game client and go sightseeing again. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, it kind of wears off after a while. Um, you want to see more, you want to see people again. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll visit just to see what's going on. But, um, I don't expect that it'll take much of my time at all because there's not, there's no game still. And that's kind of, that's, that was at least 75% of the reason for me to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The game is the, usually the important part of the game. Well, you know, it, it is a meta game there, I guess it, it's, it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there we go. Um, they're looking to launch that actually some very soon in, okay. in, in July. So, um, I'm going to visit the Titan network. That's where the efforts to bring this back are happening. And, uh, I'm going to make sure my account is still good. Cause that's the account I'm going to be able to log in with. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so why don't we hit a final piece of feedback that we've got? Yeah, we have feedback from Raul about our comment from last episode about the Pytari. That's right. So I hope everyone listening got a chance to go on our Facebook page. I uploaded a photo of it. Mm-hmm. A couple of photos of it in action. I should take in a video of it, but I guess I can always do that again if anyone wants to see it. But Right. You know, he had to leave a comment. Uh, he said uh, in, in relation... in. Relating to us talking about it, he said, So, that was surreal. Thanks for the mention on of the projects I've been working on. I do these for a challenge and fun of the building, but I really think about how people will enjoy it later. I guess I should think about bringing some regularly, now that the Atari kiosk is gone from the store, and the store is uh, Digital Press in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, or he said, maybe I should build something like a kiosk for the store. <laughs> maybe it's not a bad idea. I know he proposed that as an idea. Yeah. I don't know if he's gotten any uh, feedback on that yet. But. Well, I, I think he just bought another arcade game, so mm-hmm. I don't know. If right, right. Yeah. They do have... Uh, that space is filled. Yeah. Uh, so he says, also, glad you guys enjoyed the Pytari. And thanks for Stephanie for letting me borrow the battery for it. Because uh, was, it was running off of USB power. Mm-hmm. And it actually ran off my USB battery charger. Which, of course, you have at the ready. Oh, yeah. In case any USB device... That's why I bring it. (laughs) ...requires power, you are there. It it might give me a shoulder ache because it's so heavy, Mm -hmm. but um, it's worth it. (laughs) I've made use of this battery as well. That's right. Well, it powers an iPad, too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's strong enough to do all that. Sure, yeah definitely handy to have a battery pack like that uh, he actually said he did pick up his own now though, mm-hmm. at this point so yeah so yeah keep it up very good yeah he's always surprising us with new projects and it's uh interesting to see mm-hmm. what he comes up with next um but i guess we'll have to see what the future holds for that yeah <laughs> yeah but so, uh yeah so yeah if there's nothing else that's all i have for this week mm-hmm so remember uh, to leave us feedback on iTunes, give us four stars, <laughs> and uh, you know if you want to leave us a message, you can email us at obbfeedback at gmail.com. I did fix, me, fix my email server, so that should be working. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, you can go on Facebook, just uh, press like on our page and leave us a message. I check that daily. Sure. Uh, that's it. Fantastic. Have a great week. You too, guys. Mm-hmm.